in my definition of what a true teacher is, you know, is someone who is courageous enough to be an advocate for these young people who are the future. You know, people take that, teachers take that for granted all the time, but it's the one profession where you literally have the opportunity to shape the future, to shape the generation of kids who are going to be yeah. leaders in new society. Yeah. And you are on the journey of growth with them. And so do you have, you know, the grace to be with yourself and be with them and nurture them along, cultivate certain competencies and whatnot within them and, you know, be there for, you know, the failings and successes and struggles and hardships and also, you know, all, all like it, it takes so much more than what is usually just in the job description of a teacher. And that is something that is understood by very few. Hello. You're listening to the Courage to Create podcast, the show that our oldest son, who is a high school junior, talks about education. If you're new to the show, you can check out the introduction episode where I explain why I decided to start this project. In this episode, Isamu talked about AI detection on research paper assignment, a conversation he had with the High Tech High interim CEO, and he pondered about personal transformation he'd like to see in everyone working in education. This week was actually a lot of fun because I got to talk to a lot of interesting people. Um, and you know, with conversations or with any uh, social connection, it, like it doesn't just waltz into your life you have to you know seek it out or you have to actually have some will to sort of talk with other people and be curious about stuff you know which is also i think a skill that a lot of young students may not have for themselves which is like can you advocate for your own curiosity right mm. can you advocate for yourself and can you go out um i mean I would like to think on the most basic level, you can, you know, research stuff on the internet yourself. For example, if you want to learn how to be a car mechanic, or if you're, if you just have some interest in, you know, how does a car engine work, you can go, you know, search that up for yourself. But also in terms of when you have access to a network of people, such as a school or a college or an organization or, you know, whatever, can you go out of your way and ask a question, you know, to people? And I think I've, I actually was able to do that quite a lot. I mean, a lot being like maybe maybe four people <laughs> this week, but that's still more than zero, um, more than what you, people usually do. And I think, yeah, a younger generation may or may not suffer from this lack of advocacy for their own curiosity. And I, I think, you know, people who are genuinely curious in this world will, well, they'll ask more questions, be able to meet more people um, and then have more opportunities. And I think that's like, you know how does it look like to advocate for your curiosity well you just have to talk to people who might know something about it and but like how to start the conversation well you have to have to be brave and go up to someone and say like i have a question about this like i'll give you an example um so i know my the humanities teacher on the other side of my team is uh major in education and so this week i actually learned education is not one major there's like many many different types of education so that was a something i learned but um i think he majored in um like curriculum design or something of that nature um and he says like he would highly recommend because is much of what he learned so he can write textbooks and stuff like that but much mm -hmm. of what he learned 
is very applicable in a project-based school setting where you, the teacher, are helping design, um, you know, new novel projects and curriculums and stuff like that. And so in that in that regard, it, it you know, it, it's also um, it was very helpful to him. And so that's you know something I learned, and it's piqued my curiosity about that specific field and you know what what, what could I learn from that? Um, that that's just one you know case example but regardless this week oh my goodness early on uh, we had a stern talking to let me tell you <laughs> our uh, humanities teachers um, we had a stern talk about AI usage in our research papers and what that means is essentially uh, our so our teachers run everything we write or most everything uh, through an AI detector, um, and it and so the weird thing about AI detectors is there's a lot of nuance and complexity that, that I don't think has been addressed. First of all, there are, are like dozens and dozens of websites that are AI detectors, and running the same text through something will generate different results. Um, usually, it's in a percentage. So like this is this was you know seventy or seventy percent AI written or you know thirty four percent AI written or something like that. Uh, but between different websites, you'll get different percentages. And so, you know, that's an inconsistency. And then you have to ask yourself, why is that the case? And which one is actually credible, right? Um, I think GPT-0 or something like that. I mean, there are, there's actually multiple websites with the same name. But um, that's, the, I think, the website our teachers ran it through. Um, and they started, like, some for some students, they got, you know, pretty high percentages of, you know, 60, 70, 80% AI written and AI generated uh, writing. And so we had a stern talk um, with the class about, A, you know, this is goes against the integrity of doing your own writing. Um, I think they also categorize it as plagiarism, even though, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, I mean, you're, I think plagiarism has a different definition, but you get the idea that you're doing, doing someone else's work. I mean, in this case, it's an AI bot. Yeah. Um, and then thirdly, um, I, and this is a thing that this is the point they most emphasized was that you will get kicked out of your college classes if you do this. You know, um, and that's, I guess, the scare tactic they use to get us to not do it. Um, and, you know, I mean, there was, I mean, they did, our humanities teacher gave like an example of she knows one college student who plagiarized, quote unquote, plagiarized or caught, quote unquote, using, using AI yeah. for two sentences and then got threatened to get clicked out of the class or something. Um, and there's like definitely disciplinary punishment for using AI in some universities, I think. So, or some classes, and it very much depends on, you know, professors, um, and also the AI policy of whatever college you're going to. Um, and, but, you know, it, it, I mean, in my experience too, all our papers in our college course in terms of English 101 or English 205 get run through a, um, a, a detector for plagiarism from other academic papers. Mm. And also, I think they also you run it through an AI detector. So, you know, you're essentially give original work is the bottom line right which i completely agree with um but at the same time i mean this there are multiple branches you know from this one talking to um number one it's just reinforcing the idea that it's college we're preparing you for why because in real life no one's gonna care if you use ai i mean already in society there are you know hundreds and hundreds of use cases of ai that you know benefit people make things run more efficiently and you know probably emails are being written by you know ai or ai is being helped with you know a bunch of documents and other forms of writing and yes you know i think transparency is key in a lot of these areas but already the world has 
is adapting to or evolving to accommodate for AI. And yet in schools, we are saying no use of AI in writing. We want your original work, right? Which is just reinforcing the notion that we are not, school isn't preparing people for society. It's only preparing you for higher education because in colleges, it's the same policy. And, but you know, I can't overgeneralize all colleges because I'm sure some colleges, I mean, there are probably college courses out here that are about AI, right? Mm, yes. um, but there are also some professors, you know, especially in the lower or, or more basic classes like English 205 and whatnot, who are like, no, I want your original work. And if you get caught using AI, um, there will be severe punishment, stuff like that. Um, and it's very mixed messages because, you know, teachers say you can use it for research, quote unquote, which I actually don't think you should. I actually think you should use it for the writing, not the research, because you don't know, like ChatGDP, it's a generative AI. So it doesn't have like a bank of resources it pulls from. It's a mixed algorithm, complex, you know, neural network. And so like when you say research, it can it's halluc it can hallucinate and yeah, generate, you know, citations that don't exist out there. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I'm like, fooled. yeah, I've been fooled trying to look for a book that doesn't exist and an author that doesn't exist, you know? So yeah, I don't think you should be using it for research, which is what our teachers are saying. Um, And, you know, I think, I think ChatGDP is, overhyped in uh, high school like writing or like in school because it's designed to give you what you want to hear you know mm. like that's how it's been programmed it like it, it's trying to predict the best string of text that goes after whatever you input right it's designed to hear or give you what you want to hear and to a lot of people you know what they find on ChatGPT is agreeable and actually you know useful to them and beneficial and that's all fine and dandy but it's <laughs> it's it's different from you know getting human input and like ChatGTP, you know can give you like like if you put in a paper and say critique this or find you know compare it to this rubric you know it will do that and it will like generate you know text that makes sense and are might be genuine criticism of it but i think once you you know go beyond just simple grammar or punctuation or capitalization or stuff like that once you go into like organization of ideas or like can you actually you know bring personal experience into it you probably want a human doing that for your writing i've only had one teacher really that's given me like really really good writing um and you know one of the things he i, I think the feedback or advice he, he gave me to my paper was something i don't think ai um could have come up with because it was really you know you needed to have a complex understanding of what the intention of the paper was um and then you know analyze that to how you know how i was actually um conveying it through my words and what ideas i was focusing on um and I, like that just requires another layer and maybe you know ai can eventually do stuff like that but i think part of the reason we hire human teachers is such that they can provide this sort of authentic feedback right um i have a question has anybody asked or challenged the accuracy of this detection tool? What if you write a sentence? Yes, I've actually... Saw? So, funny story. So, my friend um, actually got, quote-unquote, caught. Or, like, his paper was rejected because it had some, like, 70 or 80% um, uh, AI detection. Uh, when I know that he did not use AI, um, he paraphrased... A lot of the uh, citations but paraphrasing is fine you know you're allowed to paraphrase as long as you cite but because of all that paraphrasing we're, we're guessing um it was detected by ai which also doesn't really make sense but even humans can kind of tell 
whether or not it's written by ChatGDP or by a human because of the way, you know, certain words or the sentence structures or the vocabulary it might use. And like a bunch of nuanced things that you can't really articulate that as well, but mm-hmm. you can kind of just get an overall feel for whether this is ChatGDP. And sometimes, you know, when you're asking students to write, you know, academic papers that are supposed to sound, you know, fancy, right? Uh, for some students, for some top students, that tends to sound more like something what a robot would write because you're essentially forcing us to write in a specific tone of this, you know, academia sort of style. And in that case, it's like, well, then if if it's getting caught by AI, like it's, it's complicated, you know, like is AI really detecting for, you know, human work or is it detecting for <laughs> stuff that's similar to us, you know, and it's a complicated it's web. Complicated, yeah, yeah. And there's no straightforward solution. And so... But if your your thing is rejected for whatever reason, you have to do the rewrite. Is that? I the... think so, like revisions of some sort. But also, it's like maybe if you put your whole paper through, it doesn't get caught. But if you just put like this one paragraph in, ah, it, it comes up with a much more higher. higher. Yeah, and like it, putting the same sentence. I mean, some good AI detectors. I mean, have like you know, it highlights a sentence that thinks it's written by AI and then uh, highlights other sentences that are written by human or stuff like that, um, and which is a little more granular. Um, but then again, it's like, if it was two words, you can't tell whether two randomly put together words are AI or human, right? Yeah. And you just keep expanding this, expanding. And it's only till you get to a certain level of, you know, complexity can you actually decipher whether it was AI written or not. And that gets a whole bunch of nuance. And I'm sure there are, you know, algorithms out there to try to detect for that. But again, those could also have all sorts of biases in that, right? So, I mean, really, it's a it's a complicated web. And all this to say, you know, yes, it's a really interesting problem to tackle. But at the same time, why aren't schools embracing this more, you know? And, and that's a whole nother issue too. Um, but anyway, moving on. I was, ta- I was mentioning how uh, I got to talk to several people today uh, or this week um, about a variety of topics that I was fascinated in. Um, I was able, had the very serendipitous moment of um, conversing with the interim CEO of our high school right now. Um, and that was, you know, it, it was a really illuminating conversation. And you could tell that he uh, is a visionary. Uh, he's an innovator. Um, and unfortunately, his contract terminates uh, December 31st this year. And I think he'll be moving um, away or like away from the organization. And so, and I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff with the CEO search and another interim and we'll get to that. But my conversation, um, it was really, it was really serendipitous because I was literally just writing about how I want to form more connections with people across the organization uh, uh, in the hierarchies. And then 10 minutes later, um, he walks right through the door in the hallway and I'm just right there. Um, and I just introduce myself and I, I begin with um, pondering about the um, the relationship between, you know, it was a relationship between the school district and the board or something like that something that has to do with you know the administrative dynamics of schools because i was i'm still really interested and i want to take a deep dive into all that and so he was just uh, illuminating you know how we get author authority or like permission from both the state department of education of california and um, our school district to be a school we get the authorization to be a school and then wask um, which is an accreditation agency actually, you know, assesses our school and, you know, make sure or it assesses whether we're a high quality of education or not. And so, you know, 
understanding those different dynamics of you know accreditation agency versus you know something that can give us authority um is like that was also something i learned this week um and you know one of the things i've kind of been struggling with is that there's no like curriculum or program that teaches you about how educational systems work mm. you know like what's a superintendent what do they do what's the day in the day in the life of that you know how how many different levels of hierarchies are there right and like yeah. um there's no really course out there that teaches you that in the same way you know math does or history does right um and so that's like wow like no wonder not many people or education isn't such an interest for a lot of young people it's like it's not talked about or enough or there's not a lot of resources on it like you know you have to look through some websites um that aren't like official quote-unquote but like are reporting you know different salaries of different positions or you know the number of students in each district or whatnot like this isn't easily accessible information. Like you have to go out of your way to find it. And that I think is, you know, a failing that I want to remedy and hopefully I want to figure out, you know, and, and learn more about it. Um, which is why I think, especially in what I'm trying to research about the structure and systems of education, you have to talk to people in that system because it's not like out there. There's not like a singular book. I mean, I haven't gone looking, but there's not a singular book that's going to outline, you know, how these systems work um, and, you know, like get to the nitty gritty of it because yeah. there's a lot of theories, right? And there's a lot of philosophies and I love all that, right? People talk about philosophies and theories and, you know, different principles of education a lot. And that's, you know, tremendously good. But at the same time, how does this translate to a real life situation where you actually have, you know, people you have to pay and uh, you get a certain number of students and these you know, ratios and how does jurisdiction work and where does it and who decides that and stuff like that. Like stuff like that isn't, you know, isn't the most talked about. Um, so I think that's something that I, I got to talk a lot about um, with the CEO. Um, and, you know, in addition to all those, I would say, more technical side of the conversation, we also got into a bit more philosophical side, which is um, he was, so before becoming CEO, and I think before going to the Graduate School of Education, um, he, uh, he, well, he was a dir the director of the original High Tech High. And so he actually, I think, and from my understanding uh, of the conversations that he, during the three years he was there, like he got to experiment with some very interesting ideas. For example, you know, why should grade levels be split by age? Why not interest or some other metric? Or, you know, why go to school five days a week? Why not three and do a hybrid or something, some other structure, right? Wouldn't that be more conducive and in terms of flexibility and whatnot? And so I, what my understanding was he was able to experiment with a little bit of those ideas. Um, but then after he left, things reverted back to quote unquote normal or traditional way of doing things. And so he talked about this concept of, you know, being like defaulting on, you know, your normal or default settings, quote unquote. And like, as I think for a teacher, or I think before, before going to teachers, it's very, it's easier to implement, you know, big innovative shifts like that when you have a visionary, a charismatic leader at the top who has that sort of idea of what school should be mm -hmm. and people can rally around that person yeah but that's not sustainable in yeah. the sense that once that person leaves the organization things will revert back to whatever was easiest for the system and in and and because of that you know we were talking about how that was actually you know why the gse originally came out because it was the, it was they saw a fundamental demand for personal transformations within educators because you know teachers are people right um they're, they're just people in jobs right and especially because you know i think education is like everyone experiences it and 
it's it's so normalized or you know like, like it's so hard to be skeptical of it but all teachers right now have gone through some school system right yeah. and that school system imprints a, a, an idea or a notion or a bias almost of what education should look like feel like sound like and you have to unlearn that in order to do sort of the deeper learning or the project-based learning work that we do at this school and and a lot of the times uh, the teachers that we hire at this school come from more traditional backgrounds. And so they're not immediately on board with, you know, the principles or philosophies that this school is trying to promote. Um, and, and when you get that, you know, most times, especially when, you know, things go down to the wire and you, you, know, you as a teacher are stressed with like grading and stuff like that, you revert it back down to the normal, you know, default of what you believe teaching should be. And so, um, this interim CEO, he was mentioning how in order to create more sustainable uh, long-term shifts such that, you know, I can leave the organization and it will still continue functioning in this, you know, innovative mm. way, yeah. you need to have the community members, the adults in that space, you know, from all the teachers to the administrative staff be on board with this new thing. And that takes, a and especially with deeper learning, that takes a transformation, like you need to you need you need to um think about your identity as a teacher and what your role is um and not just be continually imposing information or you know grading you know stuff like that um and so yeah th that was a really interesting conversation um and i think and w the other thing i loved about this conversation was when you put a title such as a ceo and you just you don't even know the name of the person you just know them as ceo mm. that creates a huge distance in yeah. terms of power right um and we actually also talked about how you know teachers need to relinquish power in the classroom in order for you know work like this to happen um but going back to our conversation when you just have a title a blanket label of somebody else you solidify a certain perception of it and especially when there's a power difference those perceptions often become more um, hostile right because it's like you have way more power than me you know it, that's that creates a very like uh, not a very positive dynamic most of the time but once you actually talk to these people you realize that they are you know they are not the label that they are but they are really interesting people with you know deep thoughts and I, especially um talking to dr caleb bishab like i was i was just struck at the philosophies that he um wants his school to be um and his his understanding that you know our current reality is not necessarily the vision right and so you know i always thought especially with project based learning with this school i have a lot of complaints about it a lot of the time mm -hmm. um and i usually attribute that to you know some some higher ups not changing certain policies or doing it the way it should be run but that's not the case at all um once you actually get to talk to people um you realize that you know people at the top of this organization most of all want pbl to work as it's you know as originally intended and yet there are so many barriers and obstacles that i as a student don't realize or recognize or can see um that uh inhibit you know people f or the school from running a certain way and so like and i was talking to another teacher about this um but you know if you once you're a teacher in the classroom you have a little bit more control over the variables that happen, right? Like you can plan your lessons, you can talk directly to, you know, certain students and work with them and see them grow over a semester, whatnot. But once you move to that level above that, uh, you just lose that control. And there's just so many people, so many moving parts, so many different clashes of ideologies. Um, and, like, you know, once you, once you, 
it becomes impossible to retain that same sense of control. And so then at that point, it's like, it's, you know, once you leave that instructional position, and once you move toward more towards an administrative position, then the amount of, um, the amount of, uh, I guess, like, influence, or not even influence, but like, the tangible changes that you can direct um, become become fewer. And I think, it is a very difficult position because I mean, even for me, you know, looking at my career in the future, you know, where do I ha- want to have the most impact, right? And if I have, to, if I want to have the most impact, you know, I would like there's a natural tendency to gravitate towards positions of higher quote unquote power, you know, so like the principals or directors or even you know administrative position or whatnot. But then once you get to that point, yes, you may have this quote unquote power, but you're still working within the system, right? So you're still limited by a bunch of other things and you actually lose that control of variables on a very, you know, uh, detailed or, or concrete level. And, you know, at that point, do you actually have a lot of control or are you just like kind of moving things along, keeping things going, but it's very difficult for you to actually, you know, change things dramatically. Um, and so that's a whole nother philosophical um, debate. <laughs> but I think... Yeah, it was just talking to people, like talking to the CEO, talking to teachers, talking to people above the teachers, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to connect with these people in order to fully grasp the system. And that's slowly what I'm uh, wanting to do. And I think like already I've, I've learned so much. I've gleaned so much um, insight from these people and have a greater sense of appreciation for the system as it is. Um, And that's, you know, very important. Um, And I think, yeah. and, And in that sense, um, I also wonder, you know, I, I thought I said educational activist, but I'm also rethinking that now. Um, maybe, maybe not rethinking, but like an educational activist with grace, because you do have to have a significant amount of grace. Because I think a lot of what activists do, especially in this world, is they, they are pointed, you know, they're hostile, they, they do things to the contrary. Um, and you can, you, you know, you can protest and you can um, rebel, right? But what that means is you're essentially creating an enemy, you know, mm. even though the real solution is unity, right? Most of the time. And and this actually leads directly into um, the board meeting on Wednesday. And so I talk about the inaccessibility of board meetings and these things are super long. They're like, if it was genuine that they wanted to make this as most accessible as possible and most easy for other people to understand, there's a different structure for that definitely not the case with the current board meetings. Um, and I was, I was on Zoom. Um, and of course, these things are like three, three, four hours. Um, and I was on Zoom, thankfully, but there were a lot of people actually in the room. Um, and it's also a small room, like it can only house maybe 20 people or so. So you're already just by the physical architecture of the space you're in, you're limiting the amount of people that can actually physically be there. Um, and there are a great deal of union members. Um, um, and so, of course, um, fighting, well, I, I see, I don't even know I should say fighting, but like um, demanding better pleading, pleading. yeah, Yeah, I mean, and it's so, you know, of course, there's all the more technical side of, you know, how's the emissions doing and, you know, stuff about funding and whatnot. Um, And and then we get to the 45 minute segment of, you know, um, the public speaking section where it's like, you know, people have three minutes and they say three minutes, but people, you know, go overtime all the time. Um, And essentially, it, it, you can say comments, um, uh, you know, and thing and have your voice heard. And I think this is like part of demo, like it, it's a democratic idea to have people heard. Um, 
one thing that I find not that good is that you can't make a discussion. Um, it's just you say stuff and there's no response whatsoever. Um, and this is very intentionally crafted that way, you yeah. know, like they, obviously board members do not want to have a discussion with the people that, you know, they're paying. And um, but I like it was so disheartening and kind of inspiring at the same time hearing union members and hearing how, you know, the struggle um, of rising inflation, rising cost of living, and how you know the the salaries don't um, don't match you know what they need to sustain themselves, right? Um, and just hearing the stories of how you know they hear you know teachers that they were you know longtime partners with um, saying they won't return next school year, and not only is that just you know it's destroying the community, but it's also it's terrible for kids who can't see the same teachers, you know, year in, year out. It was super emotionally charged. Um, and it's like very heavy topics. Um, as you're talking about people's livelihoods, yeah. right. And in terms of, and no one talks about it a lot, but like we are fundamentally in a capitalist society. Right. And these teachers, you know, to be a teacher is what well, I believe to be one of the more noble, like noble professions, because it does not pay as well as what probably, you could have gotten elsewhere, right? Like these are, especially with this high school, this charter school, right? They, these teachers are choosing to stay here, you know, um, for the work that they can do here, which you can't get anywhere else and for the community here, right? And it's not, it's not an easy decision at all to just say, okay, uh, you know, you can get uh, uh, 10,000 more dollars if you work elsewhere. So just uproot your whole community and livelihood here and just, you know, change jobs. Like that's not an easy thing, even though, you know, in words you can say it, but in practice, it's very, very um, difficult. And you have to layer in all the emotional um, state of things too. Given all that, um, I think what I was getting at is it is interesting how, you know, activists and i would consider you know these union this union um sort of an activist entity because they are fighting for what they want you know and i think i mean a there's an incredible barrier between you know the actual teachers um that represent you know the teachers and then the administrative position like ceo board members stuff like that um there's such a distance in the power there right um and like i guess the argument that I mean, you have to look at this from both sides. And for me as a student, I don't have, you know, personal stake with this. Like my livelihood isn't on the line. So I can take a, a little bit more, you know, both stances, so to speak. But, you know, for teachers, obviously, you know, it is your it is your life that is is determined by, you know, how much money you get. Um, actually, it's, it's not entirely, but, you know, that's a very big component of that, especially in San Diego, which is a very expensive city to live in. And so that is, you know, that is a very important reason to fight for um better pay and i mean and also it's like the board meetings are like a month to six weeks apart right which is like so inefficient like those are six weeks that you're you are left in the dark as a teacher right um as a union member you know not knowing what's going to happen and usually it's like oh we're delaying it further and delaying it and delaying it and delaying it. so like like this is you know a case like um, yeah i could speak volumes about this but i think we should uh move on give us an update on the fashion project oh yeah the fashion project is actually going really well um i am actually enjoying the editing process of our video that was so much fun um and actually I think one of the reasons I'm enjoying it so much is because of the freedom. Like it's just very simply the freedom that I get 
um, because I'm not stuck in, you know, history lessons or stuff like that, which all of those are great, you know, but the freedom of working with collaboratively with my peers, with my team, uh, getting, you know, the fashion stuff done and stuff like that, that like, that is, you know, part of why I go to this school. I didn't know you have editing videos. Is it like a trader? Or... No, no, no. Yeah, well, we have to do a music video um, oh. in addition to our, you know, runways. It's going to oh. be playing at the same time. And so that's been fun. Um, I think uh, we actually had a critique session where the teachers essentially critiqued every group's, um, actually it was yesterday, uh, critiqued every group's outfits. Um, we actually also had a stern talk yesterday too. Well, first of all, so one of the humanities teachers, um, her philosophy is that there's no such thing as perfection, you know? And so there, everything can always be improved. And I agree with that, you know? Like we can always, we're, we should be lifelong learners and we can always grow. But because of that, she's always viewing it through the lens of what is wrong with this, mm. you know? Yeah. And that's like a very negative place to be in, yeah. right? Because you're looking, you're, you're actively seeking out what are the flaws in this? And, 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 and it goes back to, you know, just English and its language around talking about, you know, quote unquote, cool feedback is like, we can't talk about improving stuff without talking about what's wrong with it. And what's wrong with it, that's a very negative connotation. But when you talk about what's, what, what you can grow, that becomes a very positive connotation, right? Even though they're talking about like, like kind of the same things. And I honestly, I think there is some point where it's like, yes, it's not perfect, right? I mean, perfect, it doesn't even, it's not a good word to describe anything really. It's like, why do we even have that in our vocabulary? But it's not perfect, but it's good enough, you know? And at some point, like any publisher out there, you know, any artist, like, yeah, sure, it can be better, but it's good enough for the sake. Let me just publish this book or paper or art piece, you know? And I think that's also what, you know, should be more promoted in school is, yes, there are lots of improvement points, but as a certain threshold, you know, that's good enough, right? Um, and let's move on with that. And I think, you know, for, for assignments, especially for top percentile students within school, you know, a lot of times they can quote, you know, ace everything, basically, you know, ace the test, do really good papers. And if you have teachers that are actively seeking flaws in your stuff, then that's not very fun for the student. What really should be rethought is how can we create lessons that are in the space where it is challenging for you and not just easily aceable? I mean, for me, you know, figuring out the fiscal responsibility of members in a school system, that's something that I am researching right now. And that is something that I I think is a perfect, my essentially zone of proximal development. I think that's like the sweet spot for me to, to keep developing. What is the jargon just you just threw? Like zone of proximal development. Yeah, explain. It's where you can grow and learn. So it's not too easy. It's not too it's easy. Like it's like right. Yes. I yeah. mean, I, I don't even like jargon, but I, I still <laughs> use it because I'm, I'm around it. But anyway, you know, it's like, that's a sweet spot for me, right? fiscal responsibility of members in a school system. Yeah. No other student would remotely think that is interesting at all, yeah. but I do. And I think I would grow best in trying to learn about that and trying to present that to other people. Yeah. That is what I want my personal project to be around. Of course, teachers aren't going to you know, make an individualized thing like that because they just simply don't have the capacity to. But in my you know, idealized version of school, stuff like this, where I can you know, research this within school hours and design a project around it and maybe work with others around this, that is what I would love to see happen. You know, And I think, yeah, it, a lot 
a lot of philosophies need to change. And I also think, you know, yeah, so, and this goes back to this idea of what is your identity as a teacher? Because if your identity as a teacher is revolved around um, making student work better, like giving good advice, then you're always going to be in that state of trying to give, you know, feedback, you know, and trying to figure out, you know, how can I make this better, which is implying that there's something that's not good enough with this, you know, and if that's what you think your role as a teacher is, well, then that you're not, you're not going to get very far in terms of promoting the long-term well-being and life trajectory of students, right? Um, because I think like teachers definitely need to guide students along and they need to give feedback where it is necessary. And, you know, at the same time, you also want to celebrate their learnings, right? If you are a learner too, along the journey, alongside the students, your equal learning partners, and you're growing together, then you should bask in your, you know, triumphs and successes together collectively. Like yeah. that's a spirit that should, which I believe should be, you know, in school. And, you know, some teachers get this, some teachers don't, right? And it's very individual, um, you know, and... Yeah, it, and it goes back to this, can you make the personal transformation or not to become, you know, a role as a teacher? And I think, you know, it, there's there might be perception that all you need is the credentials, you know, and then you can become a teacher, quote unquote. But in my definition of what a true teacher is, you know, is someone who is courageous enough to be, you know, be an advocate for these young people who are who are the future, you know. It's the one profession where you have the future in, in front of you every single day, right? And under, like, people take that, teachers take that for granted all the time, but it's the one profession where you literally have the opportunity to shape the future, to shape the generation of kids who are going to be f for, like, in the, the leaders, new, yeah. leaders in new society, yeah. and you are on the journey of growth with them. And so do you have, you know, the grace to be with yourself and be with them and, you know, nurture them along cultivate certain competencies and whatnot within them and you know be there for you know the failings and successes and struggles and hardships and also you know all the all like that is such uh it's a higher calling so to speak or it, it takes so much more than what is usually just in the job description of a teacher and that is something that is understood by very few right and it's interesting that I, as a student, well, it's probably because I give so much thought to this, but I, as a student, can articulate this when a lot of teachers haven't even embraced it themselves, right? And I think this goes back to the idea that young people know what's best for them, right? Like, I, as a young person, I know what kind of teacher and school system that I want, and I think, uh, like, other young people share it, uh, you know, and it's like, it, like, yeah, and there's, I mean, this can go into a whole another direction, but also, like, you know, the lack of information between, you know, administrators and students, right? Like, we have zero contact with administration, pretty much. We, on a student level, you know, our information goes to teachers, teachers go to principals, principals go to chiefs, chiefs go to board directors, board directors are our CEO, and the board directors, like, that's the, that's the hierarchy that's set up. When you say administration, you are talking about the, like, because the director, you can talk to. Yes, like, so I'm not that. talking about director. When okay. I say administration, I'm talking about people above yeah. that. But, like, the access of information between, you know, them and us students is so minimal. Like, no wonder things change so slowly. Like, we don't even have face-to-face -face contact. We don't even know each other, right? We, uh, most students might probably don't even know what jobs, that job exists, you know? They just come to school and thinking that it runs as is. Um, just, you know, that clear barrier is why things move so slowly. And, and it's interesting because, you know, obviously you want teachers to be, you know, like, 
stewards of this kind of work and you know that personal transformation has to happen within teachers obviously and directors but then once you get to administration like because they're doing more technical work you know like it's not that they're in front of kids every day it's like they're doing more expertise soaking like funding or budgeting or you know it you know um making sure you know like like software is updated like should they also have that personal transformation and i think yes like in an ideal school system i don't think you should have a distinction between you're doing administrative work versus you're doing instructional work thus you have to have different sort of um standards i actually think everyone in an organization should be on this personal journey personal transformation this lifelong learner and i think why because you have to understand systems are not disparate you know they're not disconnected they're all interconnected so the mental models the way people think in one area of the organization is going to affect things in other areas of the organization and if everyone is not on board with the same you know visions and philosophies if everyone is not aligned then you are going to have a system that isn't promoting you know the the best vision possibly of the school system um and it's an easy thing to say you know it's very hard to do because how how are you going to ask these people to like okay we need you to transform yourself personally we need you to articulate you know your journey as a person and you know really think about your identity like that's not an easy conversation to have and also that's like no one ever in society talks about stuff like this like all you're expected to in society is to know your stuff you know do what you're certified for your credential for and that's it and that's like what most of society is and i think that's where a lot of you know pitfalls fall into and i think it would be it's it's both more simple and more way more difficult to ask people you know who are you as a person and what is your role and purpose here within the organization within this community what do you offer here what do you bring to the space what do you want to do you know with the resources and people you're around like those questions that really cut to the heart of who you are as a person it's both it's more it's like the simple solution i think to a better world is that and it's the, the most difficult thing ever you know and it's not what is expected of people right like a director just can't ask a teacher you know who are you as a teacher what's your identity <laughs> you know like as much as i would love to do that you know and really get to the heart of you know is this teacher here for the well-being and lifelong trajectory like are they going to make decisions that are rooted in creating the next generation of new leaders right you have to ask questions like that and that's just like not normalized in society yet right um and this and i think this is the heart of what compassionate systems is which is why i'm so drawn to it uh, one last note i think i talk about the degree of entrenchment which is a concept that i degree of entrenchment okay um which is you know how how much momentum do you have already in the system and i think there's it's not only like you know how what's your capacity for change you know how willing how how much capacity do you have to listen to new ideas and to actually consider them because most people are already entrenched in their lives and what they're doing that they don't even have the time to and and mental space to listen to any of that but not only is there that aspect of just simply not having a time and being entrenched in your own work there's also the aspect of you know for example if writing is a, a um a skill that we think should be developed in young people which i do believe in the current way actually does work to a degree, you know? I talk about the absurdity of writing academic papers in my view for society. <laughs> but it's not like I've I've seen it in myself for the past two and a half months. 
I've become a better writer, I think. I, I have more writing stamina. I have read more complex tests, so I've, I've practiced that skill. Like, I am actually becoming a better writer writing academic tests okay. so or academic papers. So the way we're doing it right now, it actually does, like, some of it does work to a degree, right? But does that mean I think that's the best way? No, like I would not choose this way to become a better writer. I think there are uh, uh, like other options instead of learning about Chicago format and, you know, doing these academic citations. Like there are lots of other ways I would prefer to practice my writing, but that doesn't mean that this way is wrong. And that's like, that's the nuance issue because it's very easy to just say, yeah, I mean, even I'm confessing, right? That this, the what we're doing in school right now is making me a better writer. Like, there's no doubt about it. I'm getting better at reading and writing, yes. But just because it's working doesn't mean it's the best way, you know? And I think because we can already just point to some of it's working, no one takes it for granted. Or like, no, because everyone takes it for granted, no one reconsiders it, rethinks it. Or questions it. Questions it, exactly. That's the word I was looking for. And, you know, because of that, we haven't, like, there's not been a serious exploration of what other forms of you know writing assignments or lessons or projects that actually genuinely make you know students better writers there's not been a whole lot of exploration or conversations about that why because the way we're doing it right now actually does work to a degree you know so if it ain't broke don't fix it is mm, like the colloquial yeah. term and i think it applies here yeah. but at the same time i am yes it's making me a better writer i am still dissatisfied you know and that's not you know th- th- those can still happen at the same time right they're not mutually exclusive and so like, I think especially for people higher up, you know, if it's already working, right, why even reconsider it? Because I have so many other issues to deal with and, you know, yada, yada. We, we can find so many excuses to not, you know, question it and we can rationalize the current way of doing things, the status quo. But I think, you know, it does take a visionary or some someone from a different perspective to really come and say, like, you know, have you ever thought about this? Or, you know, why is it like it's like that, you know? And I think, you know, Dr. Caleb Bashab, the CEO, or when he was director at the high school, he was able to bring that sort of new perspective to the organization. And I think that's why it changed in lots of ways, right? And I think, you know, at least for now, we need more people like that, right? And and it's not just school. For society, you know, to society has a lot of issues right now. And issues are fundamentally come from, you know, just the status quo being the same and doing the same things over and over again. Like society demands that we have more creative people who are, who provide, who think outside the box, who provide different perspectives. And I think that's part of the philosophy of what High Tech High aims to do, right? And yet that's not reflected in our school systems because we have teachers who are in, you know, default mode and are doing things that they've done previously. And very rarely are they questioning it, right? And so, you know, yeah, just changes all around and it's a really complicated, you know, topic and there's so many things to consider and so many ways we need to change uh, both as a people, as structures, as society, perceptions, all these things. Um, But yeah, I think that's sort of, that's where the future I think should be headed. And I think it makes it way way more meaningful um, if, you know, we can have, we can, rediscover you know what we what we thought was the right way or the only way yeah are you good yes (laughs) all right so the next week um it's gonna be a short week Mm -hmm. you only have three days to attend because there's a 
college day trip. Advisory trip. Woohoo! To New York. All right. Signing off? Yep. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, we'd like to invite you to share your thoughts and questions, especially if you have a topic that you'd like us to explore some more. Thank you for listening and see you next time.